Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, get into it. Your host, Paul Cuthbert and Liam Maguire. Slanta, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Oh, be Jesus, Seamus, thank you so much as always for that wonderful introduction. Welcome to Sticks and Taps, everybody. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, from the great state of New York here in the United States of America. And say hello to your friend and mine, Mr. Liam McGuire from the great white north. How are you doing, lad? Holy, holy lifting, I can see you. That's crazy. I can see you too, man. You're still as handsome as ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> For those listening, yeah. uh, this is the first time me and Liam are actually on video chat now. We've finally come into the uh, 2020s here and uh, using technology. And we're looking at each other. My yeah. God, we are handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a half hour to stop that. Hey, first time uh, we've seen each other since Montreal. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. And, and that, that that's, a... that's what, uh, 17, 18 years ago? <laughs> it certainly feels like it. Well, it was, it was at least 15 anyway. Do you think Wasn't it was it? that long? <clears throat> well... I think so, because it was sort of an offshoot of uh, photonic sports stuff, was it not? And and um, Ultimate uh, Sports Network you were doing back then. Oh, was that uh, what it, it was? It's at least eight to ten years, probably. Okay. Yeah, it's got to be. It was before the L.A., way before the L.A. draft in 2010. That's ten years ago. Yeah. It's before that, Polly. Yeah, You're talking like. Over 12, 13 years, more, least, minimum. Minimum. And look at us. We still look like we're in our 20s. How, how old are your children? My son is uh, seven. He'll be eight in March. And Paulina, my daughter, is uh, just turned 11. There's no way you had kids. It, it was definitely before you had children, 100%. That's possible. I'm, I, mean, I, don't, I do I, not I remember... believe either of your children were born. I remember the trip. Um, we didn't get to hang out with each other too long. No, but, no, um, we didn't. It was like I just took a big taxi into Montreal. Yeah, <laughs> got a ride out. We had a couple of hugs. We looked at a couple of bill uh, boards on the in the office room. We were planning on doing something big there with Ultimate Hockey. It never panned out, unfortunately. But uh, no, however, our relationship has continued, and here we are today. And we're on sticks and taps. And again, everybody out there listening. We're finally looking at each other. <laughs> Liam can give me the finger now, and I can see it. <laughs> never have, never will. Never have, never will. But, uh, no, you wanted to try this, and I said, sure. I mean, I'm doing a bunch of, you know, as you know, we've talked about this. I'm doing the Zoom casts, and, and uh, geez, there's two or three other. Um, I actually haven't. This is Skype, right? What we're, you and I are doing right now? We're doing Skype, yeah. Yeah. I think that was one of the first ones, if I'm not mistaken. But then the Zoom's been the big thing uh, for me anyway during the pandemic. And I've done a couple others. There's another one called GoToMeeting. I've done a couple on it. And then I don't even know uh, my friend in Toronto, Carrie Goulet. I don't even know what app that is. But that's that's a video one as well. And I, I do that with him. So that's another one. There's probably others, right? But uh, anyway, brother, here we are, kid. Yeah, I mean, the, the good thing about this, there's no delay. I mean, I'm sure you experienced that with the uh, 
the YouTube and the Zoom meetings and everything, that's a little tough. There, I know there's some technology they're, they're coming out with now to help out with that because everybody's, uh, you know, latency, whether they're Wi-Fi, they're on a cell network and everything. Uh, that's probably the only downside of the, um, you know, the Zoom meetings and the Google meets and all that other stuff, but which is nice here is where there's no delay here. So we, uh, we're getting a clean should show we, should, here. Which is, it sounds pretty good. Should you, um, should we consider posting it as a video? <clears throat> It, that's now now you're getting crazy i mean i'm i'm pretty good with the tech stuff i'll have to find out if this is uh recorded and then i can do that but i tell you hey, what folly folly i'm just saying you know for the single ladies out there i know? know i know i'm just know. hanging around here looking available but you know i mean i tell you buddy i look I'll, i will look into that uh this week because i think that would be a blast too if we could simulcast the uh you know one way or the other whether we do it live or we uh we get a copy of this because I think that'd be a lot of fun too. So, but look, man, I'm still just getting over your, you know, gleaming over your, your facial features and your lovely hair. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got the mop going still. <laughs> I need another haircut. You don't want me to take this hat off, buddy. It's all over the place. I got to get up to Joe the Bobby here soon. So, uh, Hey man, well, hey, feast or famine for your Yankees. Holy lifting win by 12 or lose by 12. Lose a bunch, win 10 in a row, back in. Yeah. Hey, we're in the dance. That's all that matters, man. Yeah, so. exactly. Just get to the <laughs> uh, get to the postseason such as it is in Major League Baseball. At least they got the games in, at least some of them, 60, and they'll uh, most teams, I think, anyway, if not all of them. And we'll see what uh, it starts next week, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, everybody's in too, right? <laughs> Except the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> It just they have to keep the Mets out. They're just not allowed yeah. in there. Yeah. Hey, well, look, just uh, some things have to be. <laughs> so look, buddy. Uh, just on that, real uh, real quick. Why don't we start on that? Because uh, I know Bettman uh, came out of here a couple of days. There's all kinds of talk about how the, uh, and we'll get into uh, the series right now between the Stars and, and Tampa Bay, obviously, and uh, obviously the big great news seeing uh, Stamkos back in the lineup last night. But uh, you, you know your take on uh, real quick of how they may or may not you know, restart the season here. We know we got the draft coming up. We talked about that last week. Yeah. Uh, but even the NBA too, uh, as far as you know, uh, you know whether it's December. Then I, I think December is not going to happen. Now they're talking January. Uh, just your your take on any of the comments that you heard. Well, my take is that I think they're relishing the moment right now. I mean, they they have um, really shoved it down all the doubters and naysayers' throats, which I think is fantastic because I was for a lot of obvious reasons, a huge proponent of them at least giving it a shot. And I think with the, where are they now? Over 30,000 COVID tests and not one positive, they're to be applauded. I know there's a story uh, that was written. Uh, It's a great story. It was very well written. I can't remember the woman's name who did it, but uh, it's all over Twitter anyway. It's not behind a paywall or anything. It's accessible to everybody. And she interviewed uh, anonymously nine players, combined on both sides, east and the west, and got a lot of comments. Uh, I didn't really see anything there that was that was outside the norm, really, of at least how I was figuring everything was probably kind of going in there. I mean, I know it sounds like some of the guys were disappointed. Maybe they were sort of given um, not so much a bill of goods, but maybe assurances that certain things would be different inside these respective bubbles, and it didn't come to pass right through letter A to Z. But at the end of the day, uh, Gary Bettman in his uh, in his uh, uh, whatever you want to call it press conference or uh, from Mount Summit there, um, you know, coming down with the tablet, and the Ten Commandments. I mean, I, I think for the most part, he should be pretty pleased. And 
I do believe that I think we'll probably see a delay in, I think originally, I think they were hoping maybe to start 2020-21 season in December. It looks like now the mindset is delaying that into some point in January, but still playing an 82-game season. Uh, probably taking out the bye weeks, probably taking out uh, the All-Star game, and probably extending where they normally would end mid-June, maybe out another month, maybe go to whatever, third week of July, end of July, whatever. Look, we had hockey in August this year, so who really cares, right? Whatever it is, it is. The fact that the ratings are what they are doesn't surprise me either, Paulie. I know it was the lowest rated game one of the finals, I think, since 2012 or something. I, I can't remember, but something in the last seven, eight years. It's been a while. Not surprising. I mean, at the end of the day, you still do have a percentage of even who you would regard as hardcore fans or, or really intense fans. Maybe guys like you and me and our, our sort of genre that there's a percentage of them that are just they're, they're just not tuning in. You know, it just hasn't it doesn't fit for them. Like we can sit here and say, hey, it's great. You know, they're playing. We're going to get a Stanley Cup awarded in 2020, in the calendar year 2020. They're going to do free agency. They're going to do the draft. They did the awards. They're accomplishing everything. But there's still a percentage of fans, obviously, who are pissed off and 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 uh, and, and aren't tuning in. But I, I don't think that's, as, that's a, uh, a serious reflection on the effort that's been made here. So I think two thumbs up to Gary, the NHL, Bill Daly and company, the NHLPA, the players, most importantly, their families, all the sacrifices. Two thumbs up for me. Personally, all across the board. Well, you have to figure, Liam, that the other discussion is is that, you know, the bubble was kind of special for the tournament. But making that kind of work for a, an 82-game season is really not going to be able to, to happen. And then, obviously, they're not going to, you know, as far as money and all that other stuff. I mean, obviously, these are not problems that me and you are going to have uh, to, to really worry about. And, of course, these guys are going to have the meetings and everything. But you have to maybe just take the, the spectacle of the tournament and the guys, you know, doing a bubble for – you know what, July, you know, look at the stars in Tampa Bay right now. July through uh, looks like it's going to be at least the first week of October if it doesn't end this week. Um, but a, a long season one way or the other, whether it's condensed or 82, you can't see these guys committing to a bubble and being away for the families that long. No, you wouldn't get that. That's for sure. So there'll have to be some provisions made. And you could even see, you know, who, who knows? I mean, it sounds like back when this thing was all going down and you and I, before we kind of took our hiatus there from sticks and tops and talking about how this whole thing was going to play out here, we're right back in speculative mode here. And frankly, uh, let's save ourselves the breath and the oxygen, because really that's all it is, is speculation, whether they do a reduced schedule, whether they do you play only inside uh, your own division, your own conference, whether you, I mean, that's what they did previously in the lockouts. The two where the seasons were played, 1995 and 2013, you just played within your own conference. So, uh, you know, you look at and see that baseball is moving around. Uh, the NBA is moving around. There should be a way probably to figure it out. If you can't do every single rink, there's probably a way to do the majority of them and avoiding maybe if there still are COVID hotspots in various American cities that have NHL teams, there should still be a way somehow to get around it. It's just logistics. I think they'll figure it out. Look at you've got over 30,000 tests and we're going tomorrow night with game four of the Stanley Cup finals. They'll figure it out. We're going to have a season in 2020, 2021. We will. We'll have a season. We'll have a Stanley Cup. They got one done this year. They can get one done, I think, under any circumstances going forward, in Absolutely. my opinion. And we can cross our fingers that they'll find out in maybe December, right around Christmas, that all we ever needed was a vitamin C and a pint of Guinness. Yeah, exactly. Right. 
<laughs> exactly. Eight out of ten doctors recommend drink heavily. <laughs> the COVID cure, straight from Ireland. All good stuff. All right, so look, um, we had the game last night. Before we talk about that, uh, the uh, NHL announced, obviously, the, the latest winners of the last three major awards there, and let's talk about the heart, the Calder, and the Vezina, and, and get your take on it, Liam. Obviously, uh, Liam Dreisettle wins the heart trophy. Uh, us Ranger fans are a little disappointed there. Mr. Panarin didn't get it, but it's all good. Yeah. Uh, Kyle Makar in, in Colorado gets the Calder, and uh, Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg gets the Vezina. So your take on those three uh, picks there, buddy. Well, it, it uh, it's funny with them coming out now and the last, you know, uh, meaningful games in the season having been played so long ago because Roman Yossi wins, wins the Norse and there isn't a single hockey person in the world who wouldn't hand deliver it to Hedman right now. Let's wow. be honest. Yeah. His head and shoulders. I mean, if there was anybody kind of nipping at his heels, it was it was Niskanen, you know, uh, but uh, um, not Niskanen. How do you say his name? Uh, the Dallas defenseman there. Oh, Heskin. Yeah. You're, you're asking me? Yeah. I'm the worst with these names, and yeah, you know that yeah. for a fact. Uh, I mixed up, <laughs> mixed it up there. But, uh, I mean, he was the only other guy that was – but, I mean, you know, with the votes being tabulated, a lot of people sometimes, even during the regular course of action, sometimes need to be reminded that the awards are always voted on, with the exception of the con Smythe, at the conclusion of the regular season. So these votes would have been done. I think that, um, uh, you know, McCarr beaten Hughes – was probably a coin flip, at least in my mind. So I was a little bit surprised when the voting came out that McCarr actually kind of beat him handedly in that sense. But well, I think in history, you look at Ovechkin and Crosby, you go way back. I can give you, cite you other examples. Frank Mahovlich and Bobby Hull, one of the closest votes in history, 19, uh, 1958, 57, 58. There's been so many others that uh, that would be in that same realm. So this is not a slight. Any of the Hughes fans should not be disappointed. I think it was a tough call. I got no problem with Hellebuck. I, I thought he had an outstanding regular season. And frankly, a couple of comments that were made on our local radio here by my good buddy, Sean Simpson, made made the point. And, and look, goaltenders have won the Hart Trophy, but it's few and far between. And it is somewhat... You know, this brings up the age-old discussion, right? Should there be a Bobby Orr trophy for, uh, you know, if you wanted to segregate, se- separate the defense and have, have one for the highest-scoring defenseman and give it to Bobby Orr and the James Norris goes to the who actually plays the position the best and maybe mm-hmm. that includes being defenseman, the best defenseman. They deviated from that in 83 and 84 and gave it to Rod Langway in those two years. I think they were just trying to be ahead of the curve, you know? Like Paul Coffey had like 120 points one year. He was plus a billion. <laughs> Edmonton won the Stanley Cup, and he doesn't win the Norris Trophy. They gave it to Rod Langway, <laughs> the Washington Capitals. That was pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> that said, I, I got no real problem with Dreisaitl cleaning up like he did. I think based on the season. And, you know, he had Connor hurt. And even when Connor came back, and even when they were separated, you know, Dreisaitl continued to score. If you have to, again, you have to remove the playoffs from the discussion and their utter disappointment, I'm sure, at losing to Chicago. But at the end of the day, I had no real problems with any of the, the awards. I, I, I think all the guys were full measure for the victories. Yeah, now, um, super seasons uh, all around. I mean, um, you know, we've talked about it here, uh, you know, in the past and just over our conversations as far as um, – you know, the league itself and the players, you know, and, and, you know, getting the chance to talk to you and, and, and being the historian you are 
and uh, obviously the, all the the great classic traditional names that you bring up, the old superstars from the sixties and seventies and eighties and the nineties, obviously, and everything else, and and you're seeing these um, you know these these new crop of kids here, especially over the last maybe 10, 12 years, where you know a lot of these kids are coming right out of um, you know the right out of the draft and right onto the ice. And where back in the day it was, it used like it was a big deal when Wayne came out, right? Or uh, Mario came out and started playing. Now it's like a common thing. I wanted to just ask you quickly: Where do you um? Is it is it too? Is the player of today just way too different from the player of the past, um, or, or the league as far as you're concerned? When you see these young kids, a guy like Drysaddle and everything else carrying the teams, Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, we talked about them last week in terms of the best guys in the league and everything else. What's your take in terms of comparing? Uh, you know the uh, the different generations of hockey players. It, it, it's it's largely impossible to do. And if you try and do it from a historic perspective, the first thing you have to do is you take said player, measure him against his peers. And in the case of Dreisaitl this year, certainly since he came in the league, Connor McDavid. And then before that, you've got Sid and Ovi. You measure them against their peers you see where they rank, which is right at or near the top. And then you go back and you do the same thing for whoever would be in your discussion as to who you want to compare them to, whether it be Mario or Wayne or Guy or Bobby or Bobby Hall and Jean Beliveau and go down the line. Rocket Richard, Gordy Howe, keep going, right? And you take them against their peers and you group it together and you say, okay, you have to have everybody then, if you're going to take this, this is where everybody makes the same mistake. If you're going to compare Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, um, you, you know, Kale McCarr, Colorado, winning the Calder, where's he going to sit and everything else comparing. you got to have, if you're going to compare, say, say uh, a Connor McDavid to a, to a, to a Wayne Gretzky, well, then you have to have them both born in 1961 or both born in 1997. You know, like they, then, then factor in how would Wayne benefit from playing in today's game with no red line, virtually no hooking and obstruction, the, the goonery days in the rearview mirror and and three on three hockey. In overtime, are you kidding me? Yeah. Do you not think guys like Gretzky and Lafleur and Bob Yor would have been licking their lips to get into a situation like that? So I think you have to factor all that in if you want to compare, say, Connor or a Leon because he won he won the awards this year. But let's be honest, that's an anomaly. He's not going to sweep it, I don't think, again next year. I mean, if Connor plays whatever's going to constitute as a full season, he should win probably four or five out of the next six or seven Hart trophies. And Ted Lindsay's, I think. I don't think, listen, if you're a general manager in the league, Polly, are you not taking him? Yeah. Have you got your pick of anybody in the league right now? Are you taking Dreisaitl or McDavid? Come on. Connor, you're taking, baby. Yeah. You're taking Connor. And you're probably, frankly, you're probably taking Nathan McKinnon second. Let's be honest. He absolutely tore it up right up until really game seven when they got beat out. That was the only time really they maybe marginally shut him down. Hey, you know, and even then, still, he was so dominant in what, what constituted the playoffs this year. So, no, listen, kudos to Dreisaitl. I think he earned it, really. I got no problem. No problem. It goes back to what we talked about, Hellebuck. Where the goaltenders need to get fit in and factored in for the Hart Trophy. You know, and 
and which, by the way, should be renamed the Gordie Howe Memorial Trophy. It's, it's an absolute joke, as I've discussed with us. Yeah, let's you talk about this. I know you kind of um, – I saw a couple of tweets last week, too. Um, talk about your angle with Gordie Howe and how he relates to recognition amongst the league these days. Well, he's been gone four years, and they've never done anything what? to recognize him. There's not what? a single thing ever been What's done. The that secret? The first, Is there the one? First, I mean, Jesus – the first thing they said the week that he died was was uh, the league will in the, do something very soon to to honor Mr. Hockey, the guy who had it trademarked, Mr. Hockey. He was Mr. Hockey. He was as significant to the growth of the sport as both a player and an ambassador. Longevity, excellence, all that he all that he uh, in, in embodied. And yet four years later, they still haven't done anything. So I suggested renaming the Hart Trophy. It's already been renamed once. It was the Dr. David Hart Trophy, and then it became the Hart Memorial Trophy in 1960. So even though it kept the same surname, and it just recognized a different member of the family, it originally recognized the man who donated it, who was just a doctor. He's a doctor in Montreal. He donated it in 1924. I believe it was January 1924, and they awarded it in 24 to Frank Niver. He was the first winner. And then, uh, what, 36 years later, they rename it in honor of his son, Cecil Hart, who had sort of been the godfather of minor hockey in Montreal, and he coached the Canadians to, uh, to a couple Stanley Cups. And, and uh, great. But there's not one family member alive the, the, the original trophy's in the Hall of Fame. If you want to see any of the guys who won it before 1960 and you got the current Hart Trophy, you cannot see their names on it. Their names are not on it. Rocket Richard won the Hart Trophy in 1947. His name is not on the trophy. You got to go to the Hall of Fame. So all I'm saying is take what exists now as the Hart Memorial Trophy, and it's a beautiful trophy. Retire it permanently to the Hall of Fame where everything goes, including the bands off the Stanley Cup. Every 13 years, you have to put a new band on the most significant trophy, the Stanley Cup. You've got to, like, Rocket Richard and Gordie Howe's name are no longer on the Stanley Cup. Good point. If you, need, if you want to see the names on their bands, you have to go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. So retire the Hart Memorial Trophy and commission a new one. And, and whoever's won the Hart right up until Leon Dreisaitl today win, won the Hart Memorial Trophy. And then starting next year, you could finally honor Mr. Hockey with a new MVP of the league and call it the Gordie Howe Memorial Trophy. He won it six times. It's not like we're talking about some guy here who just did something away from the game that you need to feel, feel a need to honor him. You know, this is a man who played the game at the highest level. Nobody in sports has the man's history of longevity combined with excellence nobody has it and and not only that he was mvp on six occasions stanley cup winner along with everything else it's ridiculous to me that said good on dry he cleaned house and uh I, I i have no problem with it at all i also think it's an anomaly and that connor's going to win this thing many more times yet god willing stays mm -hmm. healthy and uh we continue to see that and Nathan may stick one in there, too, and maybe a headman, and who knows who else. But but uh, the goaltenders, they do get short-shifted. I think my buddy Simmer made a good point. They, they, they do get short-shifted. You can count them almost on one hand going back to 1929, you know, goaltenders that have won 
the Hart Trophy. I mean, Dominic Hasek did it in back-to-back years. And again, I don't think anybody had a problem with that. He really was the most valuable player. When you think about those Buffalo Sabre teams he was on, culminating with going to the finals against, ironically, the Dallas Stars were in the finals again here now. Um, you know, losing to Dallas in a goal that should never have been counted. That that at least overtime should have continued. And who knows? Maybe Buffalo forces a game seven. Maybe they win the cup. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, I got no problem with um, with uh, Dreisaitl. And I thought Simmer, my buddy, made a good point on Hellebuck. And I think the Hart Trophy should be renamed the Gordie Howe Memorial Trophy. That's yeah, all I I'm, got. I'm with you on that. And, and just in, I mean, Gordie Howe is just a household name, too. I mean, in any sport, you, you, you know how it's specifically for hockey, you know, even, even for non-hockey fans, just general sports. Uh, I'm just curious as to why, um, you know, I don't know, maybe he's not getting more of a, you know, acknowledgement, uh, especially since his passing. But anyway, that's, again, out of our control there, too. I had a quick question on the Oilers there for you, uh, Liam. Uh, with Dreisaitl, uh, with McDavid, where, and not to take too much away from how they bowed out uh, against the Hawks uh, in this tournament, how close do you think they are? Boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I, I obviously predicted them to beat Chicago, and I thought we could be seeing something similar from three years ago when they got ripped off on two, not one, but two goalie interference calls against Anaheim. And I thought they were the better team in that series as well. And really, they have crashed and burned since then as a team at the most inopportune times. And it shakes down this year that they get a crack and they lose to the Hawks. This is after McDavid puts on a display in game two for the ages, especially with the one goal. And and uh, they can't get it done. How close are they? Well, they're closer probably than than we all collectively think, because I think we've all seen when when team continually when teams continually lose, even with superstars on them. I think we as fans are a little bit guilty of saying, oh, they're just never going to get it done. You know, you're just never going to get it done. And and you want to see some significant traction made in the playoffs, that being um, maybe get to a third round, <laughs> let alone Stanley Cup final. How about mixing in a semifinal? That'd be nice. Um, how close today to that? I think close. And is Tippett the right close. guy? Has he made the, uh, uh, the changes for you? I, I got no problem with him as a coach. I'm I'm a big fan of him, to be mm-hmm. honest with you. I like him as a head coach a lot. <clears throat> I, I know at this point right now, you look at his body of work and say, oh, the guy is coming in right under the wave of the, of the you know, the Quenvilles and the, the Paul Maurice's and <clears throat> the Laviolettes, <clears throat> the current guys who have gone seemingly decades here coaching. He's coming right in under those guys, really, in terms of games coached and some level of success. But um, I like him as a coach. I, I, I definitely think he could be the guy. Uh, they certainly obviously need a better structure. I mean, they're, they, they don't have the defense. They don't have the depth. And, and, uh, and clearly the goaltending has, continues, continues to be an issue as well. They may never have a better opportunity, such as it is, in the Connor McDavid era to do something this offseason with the plethora of goaltenders that could be available, number one, and potentially even with some some other big fish floating around that uh, could be available. Uh, are you going to have to pay them, probably overpay them? I'm talking now specifically of, say, a Tory Krug and a, a Alex Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're going to get their money. That, and, you know, frankly, they deserve it. I mean, they've, they've both been to finals or won cups. or I mean, these you're talking 
two high-end quality guys here on the back end, which really would be a nice addition in Edmonton as well, as far as I'm concerned. So got some got an opportunity here yeah. to, to make some noise and really maybe give Connor a supporting cast. Like they put him and Dreisaitl together, they they were they were a demon to play against. But at the end of the day, you know what? Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves look pretty damn good too. <laughs> I mean, holy lifted. They were flying out there. Yeah. That looked like 2010 or 2013 or 2015. Yeah, amazing. As far as I'm concerned, they were they were every bit the match that McDavid and Dreisaitl were. So, you know, can't be writing guys off too early anymore either. Like these guys got some gas in the tank. I'll well, tell look you. Well, look at how many miles those guys, you know, Taze and, and Kane put on Crazy. the skates there for the That's last few years. When you think of international hockey too, Ooh. how much they've added with Olympics, with the World Cup in 2016, with the, uh, um, you know, a couple world championships. I mean, you you, you think of deep what they put runs. in. Finals. Deep, pl- deep playoff runs. My Hard God. Runs too, man. Yeah. Those series yeah, against the Kings respect. were unbelievable when yeah. they were trading Stanley Cups, man. They were brutal. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was something to watch. You know, there was some amazing hockey played in there. And, uh, you know, you can think of both teams coming off the mat. LA coming back from three down against San Jose. I remember Nashville had, uh, had Chicago by the, by the short and curlies and, uh, <laughs> couldn't get, couldn't get it done. So, you know, I mean, give Chicago all the credit. Uh, I mean, that was the Marion Hosa show. But, I mean, people forget he was there, too. Played a pretty big role for them. So, yeah, you know what? It's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a tough trophy to win, man. Well, like you were saying, you know? you know, you're talking about the Oilers. It's the same old ingredients, right? Good goaltending, a couple of veteran presence kind of guys to round out the team. And, you know, that's... Well, uh, hey, l- listen, Paulie, we can even draw something a little bit more succinct in terms of, a, of an arrow or a line here. Uh, Tampa Bay lost in the finals in 2015 to that Chicago team that we're talking about. That's right, yeah. There are eight eight players left from that Tampa Bay Lightning team who were there. You know, Hedman, that playoff run when they went to the finals and lost to, to Chicago in six games, he had one goal in the playoffs that year. Okay, that's five years ago. Look at the difference in this man right now. That's why, you know, we're all guilty of having a player or two come on your favorite team. Maybe it's a rookie. You're getting Lafreniere here in, uh, in a few Woo-hoo! short weeks, as you know. And, <laughs> you know, you, there's already a great nucleus there in the Ranger team. There's a lot, really, to like about this Ranger team. They were in the finals a few years ago, too. So it's just how you've got to build. Put those building blocks together. You pair away the guys who didn't get it done, and you got to continue to add. And you got to trust that you got a general manager in place who knows what the hell he's doing. And I think for the most part, overwhelmingly, these guys do. They're just second-guessed every day by anonymous uh, Twitter accounts that, that are, you know, gutless guys who can't skate and never could. And they're negative first, and, and they really don't know anything. But the, the, the overwhelm, they, they represent, sadly, the majority of comments on social media. And, and it makes it difficult because as fans, we, we got to wade through all that. Yeah. You know, because you want, I don't know how you digest your news, but a lot of people aren't reading the newspapers. Or if you are, you're reading them online. And the radio shows you listen to, but you're not, you know, it's really, we become these things, you know? And, and, uh, and for those of you and, listening, uh, Liam just held up a phone. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Keep forgetting. Yeah, not everybody's going to be able to see. 
especially you ladies. We're getting used to this. It's good. <laughs> no, there's we'll no doubt that. about it, man. I mean, I, I know what you're saying. I mean, this is something we, uh, you know, that's the filter and the, and the non-filters and, and what we have to feed through and everything else. And, you know, uh, just to real talk real quick here, as far as the New York market here, too, uh, obviously, uh, you know, the Rangers and the Islanders making tons of changes here. Uh, both of their organizations, the future looks great, uh, you know, and, and, you know, hopefully we all get back to normal here in the next couple of years because you can, you can see uh, the young nucleus uh, of the players, uh, and I'm sure the Islanders are going to bring in a couple of hot free agents too, the new building going up, Trotz being behind the bench, Lou running the show up top. I mean, they've just brought, uh, they've got uh, stability in the ownership there too. Uh, the fan base is uh, totally uh, in step with that team right now. So the Islanders are definitely going to be something to deal with over the next few years. And the Rangers, you know, us as Ranger fans, you know, the ups and the downs. And like I said, we were there in 2014, and we're uh, seeing, you know, Hank's career coming. And then the old guard, McDonough's playing with Tampa Bay right now. And, you know, Shattenkirk seeing him over there too as well. And and we've got our young kids and a couple of big free agents, like I said, Panarin, and I'm sure there's a couple more coming, and um, Truba and so on and so forth. But in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of the GM and seeing JD come in here and seeing Sather hand it over to Gorton was huge because, you know, Sather came in here and did his thing and everything else. And, you know, it's just like anything else. You go to the upside. I get, you get turned off of the team and the direction and you're basically dealing with whatever the crop of the year is and the, and the direction and the trends and everything else. And every team and every organization goes through this, but what a breath of fresh air it is when the when like the house is cleaned and you get a couple of new tenants and you can see somewhat of a direction going on and like you know even the rangers getting knocked out obviously we get the draft pick and everything was a bonus and we're all laughing here ha 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 but as a fan as a diehard childhood fan of the organization being there when they won the cup in the nine, in 94 seeing the ups and downs getting close to the conference finals getting close there against LA and everything but it's it's just it's a good feeling going forward, and I don't care if it takes a couple more years as long as it gets there. And following a team with direction, and good management, and smart hockey people, it's fantastic. And and you know hopefully the Devils will start doing that here too as well. Um, you know getting Lindy in here and as far as that organization, but it's got a great um, you know history uh, of success in New Jersey too. They've got that pedigree, so they'll they'll turn around. So. We're kind of, you know, we're lucky here in New York that here in this end, and obviously we've been playing the Pittsburghs, we've been playing Washington, uh, we're playing Tampa, you know, all the teams down here in the East, Southeast, and Carolina. So there's a good mix here in the Metro and obviously the Eastern Conference. But, um, you know, we're, we're excited. And just to touch on the GM part of it and the hockey operations, uh, when you come out of it on the other side and you start seeing there's a game plan here. And us as Ranger fans, having all these draft picks and quality picks – and, uh, you know, a brand-new young coach and, and, and a new system, which I don't know if we've got to figure it out yet, but uh, it's great. And, I mean, we're used to the big guy signing the big contract like Panarin and everything else and, and Zibanejad and everything else, but um, we've got a nice mix as going forward. So the ingredients we were talking about, goaltending, we're set because uh, Shesty and Georgiev are good, and whatever happens, if Georgiev gets uh, shipped out and, you know, Hank's either going to come or go next year and whatever, his contract's going to come off the, uh, off the books. And then defensively, Foxy, Truba, they're building around that too. Uh, Ke'Andre Miller looks good. We've got some great prospects coming in. And up front, we're good. And I think that's the thing. It's it's exciting here to be a hockey fan of this. And even though our rivals, the Islanders, when the Islanders are good, it just makes the Rangers good too because they've got to compete against each other. So it's all good stuff. Yeah, listen, you're selling hope <laughs> for winning. 
And it's got to be one of, one of two ways, unless you're rock bottom and you're in the lottery and you're just trying to, you know, if you get a, a year like this, Lafreniere. <clears throat> but I think even prior to the Rangers getting the first pick overall, they uh, there was there's a lot of hope. I think uh, with with Ranger fans, you can speak to that. You are one. You you live there. You follow them. You you comment on them. So you'd be much more applicable to speak speak on that than I would. But it's one of two ways. You're selling hope or winning. Believe me, right now, Ottawa, the entire region here is ready to come off of draft day like you're going off a high board. I mean, when the when the when the swimmer would uh, the diver would come up and take the first three jumps there on the board before going up yeah. and then down to the water. I mean, this is the Ottawa fan base right now. I mean, they know they're getting Stutzla or Byfield at three, whatever happens at five, probably a D man, and yet another pick in the first round on top of that, and I think four seconds, something like seven picks in the first ninety one. They're ready to make some pretty big noise here uh, from a marketing and promotional point of view. They're going to really go nuts after this. And if the owner can stay out of the way of himself and uh, leave hockey ops alone, such as they are under the auspices of uh, Pierre Dorian, then the team should naturally be able to improve. Uh, they have imploded for really since that miracle run to the semis in 2017, uh, three years now of full on. 100% implosion, and and they've been the laughing stock of pro sports, and so it's uh it it's uh, whereas in Montreal, they got a real respite here, they they pull the rabbit out of the fire by being able to do the play in round play like they did against Pittsburgh, everybody saw them against Philly they were the better team, mm-hmm. they just couldn't score, and yet. They've been selling hope for about 24 months as well, you know, with with uh, with with some drafts that have, you know, their last couple of drafts, which haven't been too bad. And, and with the promise maybe of a Cole Caulfield being able to do something and 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 obviously the play of Suzuki and uh, and Coke Niemi in the in the in the 10 playoff games here. So so the Habs are trying to sell some hope, too. And and Kerry looked great. And, you know, Shea Weber looked good. And they're neither one of them are, are spring chickens, but. Neither one of them are even remotely close to Zidane Chera's age. <laughs> and he was in the finals last year with the Boston Bruins. And to be honest, if there's no pandemic this year, Boston were by far the best team in the NHL when things got shut down. I don't know they ever really got that engine going again, you know. Yeah. So I wouldn't count them out, even though I know there's a lot of things going to happen there potentially on and off the ice with the Bruins. But anyway, buddy, hey, listen, I think the, the league, the game are in good shape. And uh, notwithstanding the ratings for this final series, may may not be the sexiest, but uh, Tampa, Dallas, whatever. Yeah, you, you but can't I, e- you know, you can't even go by that. I mean, look at you know, you, you talked about the phone earlier before. I mean, with the pandemic, I mean, I mean, with everybody's just how any of us, Liam, stay focused. Now, I'm not going to speak for you. I know you're a focused man, you know, especially at the pub, and you know what you're going to order, and you know what you're going to drink. But I just um, don't let. I just <laughs> listen. I don't let I just don't let that stuff bother me. You know, I know it bothers other people. What's going on in the world? And well, I don't know. I, I don't mean that. I'm not. I don't want to go there. What I'm saying is, is yeah. that there's um as far as ratings and stuff, we're all uh there's so much competition with streaming. You've got all the sports playing at one time right now. So it's yeah, all, I'm, what exactly. I'm saying, it's all mixed up. So. I don't think you yeah. can really go by those ratings right now if it was a regular time of the year. In terms totally of, uh, agree. Things totally like that. That's agree. what I'm saying. You know, I mean, people yeah. are streaming movies and, you know, uh, there's just there's way too many things for people to try and focus on 
uh, a certain element. And now you've got the fans in Tampa and the fans in Dallas are really the biggest focus groups right now on this series. While the rest of us, like I said, we've got football, basketball, hockey, you know, golf, NASCAR. Everything is going on at once. And then, you know, all these movies are coming out and TV shows. Like I said, man, it's it's hard to grab anybody's attention to get focused on one thing, let alone the Stanley Cup Finals right now. 100% there, brother. 100%. All right, so uh, real quick on the Sens. Uh, Anderson uh, not offered a contract to come back. Maybe just a quick couple of thoughts on him. He had, uh, you know, a couple of good stories here playing with the team, uh, health yeah. and all that other stuff. Uh, maybe just a couple of quick words, and we'll, we'll get into the series last night. Uh, you could you could almost make the case, uh, in fact, you probably could, is during his his time here in Ottawa, collectively, start to finish, he has been their MVP. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Injuries notwithstanding, then you had to deal with his wife's illness, a uh, very public uh, battle with cancer, uh, God willing, or I should say, uh, thank God that uh, uh, she seems to have uh, overcome at this point. It's fantastic, the story. Um, Craig hanging in here through the absolute gong show that this place has been for 36 months, this organization and the team is a testament uh, unto itself. So I think it's, um, I don't have a problem with it. I'm not sure if they're going to dip into the free agent market, try and do something. I know there's been chatter that maybe in that fifth overall pick, they should take the Russian goaltender. Everyone's saying he's the next Carey Price. Carey went fifth overall. They've got the fifth pick this year. Uh, they're thinking maybe, I think his name is Askarov, that uh, possibly you could uh, take a gamble, take a flyer on him. I just don't know enough about his body of work, you know, to make that call. But, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, Anderson going. They've got Holberg. They've got Nielsen. Uh, they've got uh, Decord in Binghamton. There's another guy whose name escapes me right now. But, uh, um, you know, I mean, they've got some goaltenders that I think they could certainly start the season with. Uh, and you, everybody's got to be cognizant of the fact that next summer or some point in time, there's going to be the expansion draft with Seattle. You're only going to be able to protect one goaltender. So there's, you know, there's some ins and outs. You can do some different things if a guy's a rookie and all, you know, all the other rules and regulations. But for the most part, you know, that you're going to have to put somebody up. So not to say that Ottawa would necessarily lose a goalie, but I think right now what they got, Paulie, is probably okay to start. And, and I, I think they... I think they felt that, um, um, you know, it was time for Craig. Uh, they weren't, you know, to offer him something that he would probably want and or guarantee him the games that he would probably want. They just weren't in, not in a position to do that. So it's time to gracefully say thank you very much and, and let him go. And maybe, maybe he grabs on someplace else. I mean, I don't think really can he, he can't be a starter anywhere. I don't believe on a go forward, but could he be picked up as insurance or something? Yeah. I mean, if you find a deal that fits, you can't mortgage, you can't mortgage, you can't, you know, throw the bank at this guy right now, given his age and his history and everything else. So, so uh, yeah, I got no problem with uh, them not uh, renewing or, uh, you know, offering Craig a contract. And I do think his play here has been exceptional. Uh, yeah. A couple hiccups this year, last year, I think as things have been winding down for him and the total upheaval in front of him, uh, he still has played real solid, and he's been the consummate pro. Nothing but respect for Craig Anderson. Well said, my friend. Good stuff, and we wish him uh, the best. He'll uh, he'll land on his feet one way or the other as uh, the Sens are making the changes that you were talking about before. So uh, good stuff all around there. All right, so uh, we got a couple anniversaries. We'll touch in uh, towards the end of the show here. 
uh, we're going to talk about. But we have to talk about the series, obviously, where it's at. Uh, Lightning come off a very emotional series against the uh, long series, tough series against the Islanders there, especially losing the last two there. But uh, uh, Stars win game one, 4-1. Uh, and it looks like uh, Tampa's finding their way here, winning the next two. And, and we got to talk about the big story last night, obviously, with uh, Stamkos getting back in the lineup. He, I think he only got like two minutes of playing time. Um, but, man, what a goal. What a shot. Yeah. <laughs> Over the shoulder, Kubita. Unbelievable, amazing stuff. Um, definitely get your thoughts on this, Liam. I have a question for you, though. Uh, I I didn't get a chance to read up on it. What's what's the background? I don't know if you know on the inside or, or if it's been uh, you know reported, and, and forgive me for not knowing, but what was Stammer's injury? I don't even know. Wow. I, 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 I have no idea. I've never actually seen it definitively stated what it was. It was interesting last night, as you said, he played two minutes and 47 seconds. Now on record as the least amount ever played in a game since they started tracking ice time and, and in a final when somebody scored a goal. So he's got that. Uh, he stayed on the bench, as you know, you saw, everybody saw that, didn't play. And, and uh, when, he came, when, he, when he didn't uh, come back at the start of the second, and then came back, and then I guess it was during a TV timeout, the cameras were on him. We wouldn't have seen it. Everything was in commercial. But then they had the video when he came back, and he went out, and he was doing the, the circles there, and he did some short circles. So what's he, what's he checking on? I can't imagine it's upper body. you got to be lower body, I'm thinking. And is it, is it knee-related? Is it groin-related? I, I don't know. The way he was doing the circles and he was looking down, I have no idea what it is. But like you said, for him to come back, and the way the team reacted when he scored, first of all, they scored two goals in like 85 seconds. They're, they're, they're absolutely going nuts. And it's Stamkos who gets it. Hedman makes a fantastic pass. Stamkos does all the work. Beats Hudobin high on the far side with just an all-world shot. They're up 2 nothing. Game three of the finals, you know, I was going to say places going nuts, but there's nobody in it. But I mean, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's it's the team was going nuts though, and the reaction when the, when the camera panned on the bench. So yeah, they were full measure for that win last night. That's probably Dallas's um, those power plays they had in the third. You know, and Jamie Ben took himself out of the third period, picking up the two and ten, and you know, in the uh, trade off there, that's not a good trade off for Dallas. And and uh, you know, they had the power plays; they could have made it five three. You know, they had a chance. A couple power plays. They got nothing going with them. Give Tampa credit. But I think Dallas got uh, Dallas got the full Monty yeah. on what the Tampa Bay Lightning term, yeah. are all about, man. Point Rock was flying. Hedman yeah. was flying. They had their emotional captain and leader back who scored an unbelievable goal. They got the goaltending from Vasilevsky. Let's be honest. Game two, if he doesn't play like he does... They're up 3 nothing. Dallas comes back. Oh, Jamie Benn, the chancellor in the dying seconds. A lot of other goaltenders would have let that in. Give Vasilevsky all the credit in the world there. So, you know, I mean, they look like they're hell in a cell. Now you got back-to-back games tomorrow night and Saturday. I mean, really, you can't go down 3-1. It's done. So yeah. you're going to see everything but the kitchen sink, I think, tomorrow night from Dallas. And they're going to need it. And at the end of the day, in the finals... Throughout our lifetime and long before us, Polly, and long after us, when uh, some team's going to win, that means there's going to be a loser and it could be a hell of a good team. And this Dallas Star team are a hell of a good team. You know, I mean, they've been largely Hudobin here, but, I mean, they have had some great efforts, and they proved it in game two. They were the better team the last 40 minutes of that game after Tampa went up 3 nothing. 
And they still are going to be a tough out when it's all said and done. But uh, Tampa just looked like they're too much for them so far right now and definitely last night. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. It's, um, it, it, you know, you look, you know, at the lineup now and seeing those key guys coming back. And, you know, Kuch- uh, Kucherov is just unbelievable, too. And, and Sergachev, too. I mean, they've got, they've got just a, um, a super lineup. And, again, it's nothing against uh, Dallas, too. I mean, I'm a little more familiar of just watching the, the Bolts play because I watch more of the Bolts Islanders series than I did of watching, um, you know, Dallas and Vegas. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. The full Monty, you see the whole thing going on. And, and Vass is something else uh, as far as – do you know what uh, Vassilensky's background in terms of uh, when was he drafted and where did he come from? No, no, he, I don't. He's he's Russian, obviously. But, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I've looked it up at different times, but I've never actually filed it away. So – uh, you got the wrong McGuire there. Pierre what? could give it to you. <laughs> Another rare moment of stumping yeah. the McGuire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't have his, uh, his, his background off the, uh, off tip of my tongue, but, uh, but he, he, uh, he's played obviously extremely well for them. And, and, uh, I think the whole team, you know, there's some interesting things between that game one loss and through the next two games, they moved Palat over on the on the power play on the point you know last night they had four power plays they scored a power play goal they actually used eight different forwards for significant portions of those four power plays eight different forwards I mean they've got Yanni Gord playing many times on that first unit it just goes to show you you know how how they've got that that offense structured and I think the power play changes that they made I think they made a couple of other subtle changes in their four check I mean they were on they were on Dallas last night like a fat kid on a smarty man uh they they chased that Dallas D almost right out of the rink and and that was really really significant to watch you know for me personally it just there was just no room for that Dallas D which has been so it's been next to Hudobin their defense has really been the story of this year's playoffs. But no, I don't have Vasilevsky's uh, background for you, but, uh, but he's, uh, he's solid all day, and uh, as we know, and, and uh, he's played great for them. He yeah. has, for sure. A lot of hockey left, no doubt about it. Um, things switching a little bit here, too. And uh, you wonder if the, uh, the back-to-back maybe benefits Dallas. Maybe it was just helping Tampa getting that little break, uh, especially, uh, you know, like I said, guys like uh, Hedman and stuff and putting all this ice time in there and uh, – We'll see what happens, but it's a fun series, and you know, I guess all of us as fans here, we'd love to see Dallas get the next one and and stretch this thing out a little bit. It would be, I would. be a lot of well, fun. Put it put it this way about about the start of this series. Um, Dallas had four days off. Tampa had forty six hours off. Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't know anybody who called Tampa to win Game One. I know I called Dallas to win Game One. So did many, 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 many others that I saw on social media. To me, it was an absolute given pretty much barring something really unforeseen that they were probably going to take that first game. I think of the story of my dear friends on the Habs in the sixties told me in 1966 Stanley cup final, the Montreal Canadians lost both first, the first and second game to the Detroit Red Wings in the forum in Montreal in 1966. Uh, I remember talking to Yvonne Cornway and Jean Beliveau about it. The late, great, the good old Bill Jean Beliveau. And he said, well, you know, man, we had 10 days off. And we were rusty as hell. And and uh, after their semifinal win over Toronto, and they they were rusty as hell. And they lost those two games to Detroit. And they they took the train to Detroit for Game Three. This is in the final, 
And uh, Jean Beliveau, the captain of the Habs, went to Sam Pollock, the general manager, and he asked Sam for $300. This is in 1966, between, between games. And Jean took the entire team out for a few pops. Well, 300 bucks in 1966, it's going to get you a few pops. <laughs> Especially if and, it's nickel and, beer uh, night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And uh, they went out and had a few pops. Everyone knows the story. Montreal didn't lose another game, ended up winning the cup in overtime in game six on a somewhat controversial Henri Richard goal. But having said that, they were going to win the series anyway. But the point is, is that, uh, yeah, I think Tampa uh, survived game two. Uh, they basically mailed in game one, survived with a victory in game two, showed their full teeth last night, and Dallas better pull one out tomorrow. Otherwise, this baby's over Saturday. Absolutely. And uh, this time next week when we get back on air, we'll have a Stanley Cup champion. So that's going to be uh... – just think about exhaling on that, Liam, right? From the from yeah. the, the shutdown yeah. to the tournament to, you know, I don't think there'll be a parade, but <laughs> we'll see what happens. But uh, we're going to have a new cup champ, and then uh, we'll, we'll move forward from there. All right, buddy, so um, winding down the show here, a couple we have a couple anniversaries we want to hit on first before we do our Irish toast and our Irish song to close out sticks and taps here. Uh, a quick anniversary, I think it was yesterday or today, 28 years ago, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we might as well acknowledge it, uh, Manon Riom. I believe I'm pronouncing yeah. that correctly. Yeah, Manuel uh, Rayon, you're saying it right. Yeah. She uh, she suited up for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Espo was the GM back then, I, I believe. Um, yeah, total publicity stunt. What do you remember about it? Yeah, publicity stunt more than anything. Yeah, right? I remember the lead up to it very well. Uh, I I know that um, uh, Phil Esposito was not uh, not it, this was not uh, uncommon for him. Phil is the guy who brought Guy Lafleur out of retirement to the Rangers. Brought him to their training camp in Three Rivers. And uh, Guy was the best player on the ice, so they ended up signing him to a contract. You know, they had Marcel Dion. And, and Guy's first goal that year as a Ranger, I know, was assisted by Marcel Dion against Vancouver. I thought, you know, at the very least, that was one pretty incredible thing. And when Guy came back to Montreal as a Ranger, everything he owes everything of that to Phil Esposito. Phil did the same thing. Everyone knows um, he was uh, GM of Tampa out of the gate, and he hired... Every single old crony, Wayne Cashman, his brother. He had everybody, Angelo Bombacco, anybody he knew going back 30, 40, 50 years, got a job in Tampa. Total publicity stunt, uh, put Menno in there. Uh, she, uh, she had played 18 minutes of junior A hockey. 18 minutes. You know why she didn't play anymore? Because she took a shot right in the head from outside the blue line. From, I believe it was Philip Boucher who could walk on a puck and and she she just couldn't get her glove up quick enough and she got laced right in the head that take her off on a stretcher and she never played again in major junior A then Phil brings her in as I understand it he went to the St. Louis Blues and said look she's only playing the first period you know just don't just don't run her you know it's an exhibition game and the Blues had nine shots on net, and they scored twice. Jeff Brown and Brendan Shanahan, and she made a couple nice saves. You remember the goal scorers? You're out of your mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do remember them. Well, Jeff oh Brown's an Ottawa guy. He coached '67 this year, and his son was drafted by the Senators, Logan Brown. And Shanahan, I remember, scored, I think it was off a goal nose scramble, and I don't think she had much of a chance on that one. But uh, uh, Now, now you're showing off played, describing uh, the goal, okay, pal? <laughs> <laughs> it's only 28 years ago. It's oh, my long. God. <laughs> 
Anyway, you know, good honor. She was a trailblazer for, for doing it. If she had got lit up and, lit, and allowed five or something. But believe me when I say this, St. Louis were told to back off to a degree, and they did. And uh, they were told she'd only play 20 minutes, and she did. And she went in, and I think she gave a good account of herself. And she certainly was a star in women's hockey. And I, I'm sure she inspired uh, countless girls at that time. And I think it was great. I think it was great for, for you know, women and the involvement. Keep in mind, the first Women's World Championship had only happened, I believe, the year before or two years before. It was either 90 or 91. It was right here in Ottawa as well. They wore those stupid pink uniforms. Thank God they never wore those again. <laughs> and, um, and if you look what we've had since then, that is, you could make the case, there may be no better rivalry in sports than women's hockey between the States and Canada. Yeah. 30 years worth is probably the best rivalry in sports is women's hockey, the United States of America's team and Canada's team. They don't like and each other very much. was a part of that, you know, what's that? They don't like each other very much. <laughs> they don't like each other. They've actually fought. They have, they have punched each other. They, uh, for the life of me, I don't understand why they don't let the women play contact hockey. I absolutely do not get it. These women are absolutely incredible athletes. Yeah. Anyway, so was Manon Rayon. But that whole thing was a publicity stunt. And uh, good on Phil. He had a mind for it. He's figured he had to sell uh, sell some hockey down there to people who maybe didn't really know it. And he did that. And, you know, in and around that time, she got offered a uh, big offer by Playboy to pose. Uh, she turned it down, uh, unfortunately. And... Um, <laughs> You know, it, uh, I think uh, she's had a great life and a, and, a, and a great career, you know, and, and uh, she, was a, she was an outstanding player and good honor to get that crack. But it was a total publicity stunt. Yeah, well, she's part of NHL history, no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, 100%. And listen to you knowing who scored against her. Unbelievable. I got to start <laughs> drinking this afternoon again just to keep <laughs> up with you. Unbelievable. All right, pal, let's uh, touch in on uh, another, something you wanted to talk about today. Uh, Team Canada again. You and Team Canada all the time. Unbelievable. <laughs> what have I got? Two? USA's got two things, 1980 and 96 World Cup. That's all, right. That's all we got, and a couple of juniors. All right, um, <laughs> Summit Series, baby. Take us take us back, buddy. Go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, by the time we're on next week, we'll have, we'll have uh, skated over, if you include the fun, exclude <laughs> the fun here. Uh, we'll have skated over the anniversary of, uh, of Paul's goal in Game 8. But 48 years ago today... Uh, was game six of the eight-game series, and Canada won, and Henderson got the winner uh, unassisted. He just uh, he took a shot from way out that uh, Tretiak just blew. It was a brutal goal, but, uh, you know, Tretiak, thank God, absolutely sucked uh, during the four games in Moscow, and we should never have lost game five. We had a four-to-one lead, but give them credit. They came back, Russians, that is, and uh, beat us 5-4. But on today's date, we won game six, and I want to acknowledge it, Polly, because the anniversary of game seven will be on Saturday, and then the anniversary of game eight, the final game, will be on Monday. So, by and won't be topical at all by the time you and I hit a week from today. So, I want to give a shout out to the boys. Um, I'm still in touch with most of them. I'm, I'm trying to uh, see if I can um, uh, formally get involved in, in what will definitely be their last hurrah if they have it on the 50th anniversary. Two years from now, um, you know, I mean, we've lost several guys just even in the last few months, right? Brian Glennie, Pat Stapleton, Bill White, 
yeah. they're all gone. And they join those that have gone before. So, and the Russians have lost more. Wow. So there's not like uh, a lot of time left for a lot of these guys, sadly. And, uh, and I do hope they do something for a 50th. But even though this isn't a significant milestone in terms of an anniversary date that 48 years is no big uh, silver chalice for 48 or anything like that. But I wanted to acknowledge it. It was today's date. It was in Moscow. It was our first win over there ever by, uh, by uh, Team Canada. So that should be acknowledged as well. And um, and the comeback officially started 48 years ago today because in Game 7, Paul Henderson got the winner in a four-on-four scenario with two minutes and, I believe, six seconds to play in the game. And then Game 8, we all know what happened there. And, uh, you know, you talk about your miracle win in 1980. Well, Team Canada had three miracles. Game 6, Game 7, and Game 8 were all miracles. Every one of those games was a miracle. We can't, We needed to win all of those games to win the series. And and uh, so it was it was it was quite uh, quite something. It'll stand the test of time. You and I have had many discussions about it over the years, different formats and different shows and stuff. And but I don't uh, you know I don't uh, I, I don't fight the fight anymore for Paul for the Hall. But uh, but I do like to acknowledge the uh, the uh, the anniversaries. We do happen to fall on the anniversary of game six today. So I thought it was worth noting. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Liam, can you um, maybe for anybody who's listening and even myself too, what was the um What's the significance of the eight games? Why was because there, why it, was there eight games? It, it was it was an exhibition series, so they felt the the fairest thing to do would be to play four in Canada and four in Russia, and you know it was just it was just supposed to be you know a meaningless exhibition series. Gotcha. Nobody had any idea it was going to evolve the way it did. This is the first time our best pros. Minus, unfortunately, one to injury Bobby Orr and the other because exclusion because they didn't allow any Canadians that had jumped to the WHA to play for this version of Team Canada, which is why some of the guys like Phil Esposito is very adamant it should be called Team Canada NHL. But um, at the end of the day, it was the first time ever that the expression Team Canada for a sporting team was used. Oh, wow. It was, ne- it was never used prior to 1972. Well, Never. Oh. And and now every single solitary thing that goes abroad or competes anywhere in any sport that has a Canadian flag is called Team Canada. Yeah. But it all started with, with Team Canada in 1972. So it was four games in Canada, Montreal, Toronto, Winnipeg, and Vancouver, four games at the Luzinski Ice Palace in Moscow. And in between were two games against Team Sweden which we won 4-1 and tied 4-all in an absolute war in Game 2. Wayne Cashman got speared right in the mouth by Ulf Sterner, which knocked him out of the rest of the games in Russia. And then one more game against the national team from Czechoslovakia, 48 hours after we won Game 8. Like Harry Sinden said, I dressed the 18 guys who could still stand because everybody was so hammered, right? Wow. <laughs> and and uh, and and we didn't lose that game either. We didn't lose this? to the Czechs. We didn't lose to the Swedes. And we won three out of four on Soviet soil, three in a row, all by one goal. The same guy getting the winner in all three games. That the the will to win and the Canadian spirit on the ice that we have talked about for almost five decades began 48 years ago during the Summit Series. There was no talk of it before. Nobody talked about it before. Canadians had wins before, but nobody, you know, who was playing? It was our top senior team. 
It was our Allen Cup team that was representing Canada. Then we went to a national team concept in 64. With, but again, maybe two or three guys with NHL experience. But everything changed in 72. And the reason that you've got two Russian goaltenders in your system and a Swedish goaltender, and I'm talking to you, I mean the New York Rangers, yeah. and, and, and you've had arguably the greatest Swedish goaltender in the history of hockey on your franchise for years, is all because of the Summit Series. Every single international player cashing a check playing hockey in North America today owes their origin and livelihood in the sport in North America to the Summit Series. Draw the lines back, and that's where it all started. The Swedes and the Czechs were scouted and came over because of the Summit Series. That's why. The first Russians drafted started in 1975, even though they weren't able to play, but they were on the radar screen. They started to be drafted in the National Hockey League. There was efforts to try and secure them to play. It didn't happen, as we know, until 1989 with Priakin. Necheyev, I already say his name, defected and played for L.A. in 83. He wasn't allowed to come and play. Everything goes back to the Summit Series. That's the difference between Henderson's goal in Game 8, let alone his winners in Game 7 and Game 6, and Ruzioni in 1980 who won a game against Russia in the greatest single-game upset, I think, in sports history, which allowed the Americans to get into a gold medal final against Finland. Mm -hmm. But that inspired, I believe, once Americans woke up the next day and found out about it, because none of them saw it. 25,000 Americans watched that game live. I don't know if you did or not. I okay. did, and I did, yes. Oh, you're, you're one of the 25,000, and the only <laughs> reason is because of geographically where you were located, yep. because you watched that on a Canadian feed with Al Michaels doing the play-by-play and Ken Dryden doing the color commentating. That's what you watched Miracle on. So the next day, when millions of Americans found out they had beat the dreaded Red Menace, the the, the height of the Cold War still, and it became what it became, it didn't didn't do anything for international hockey. And and I want to correct something else here while we're on the topic. Go for it, pal. People always say that... And I'm not taking anything away from Miracle. I call it the greatest single-game upset in the history of sports. That's what I believe Miracle was. It was a miracle. It was fantastic. Fantastic. But they say uh, the Miracle uh, Team USA did what Team NHL couldn't do in the Challenge Cup in 79, or Team Canada didn't do in the Canada Cup in 1981. Beat the Russians. Wrong. Wrong, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) The Americans played one game that mattered against the Soviets in 1980, which, as we know, I believe was February 24th, was Miracle. That's the Miracle game. The first game of the Challenge Cup, Team NHL won. If that was a one-game showdown, the Challenge Cup would have been over, and and Team NHL would have been the winner. In 1981... Our first game of meeting in the round robin against the Russians, Canada won 7-3. Thanks for coming. Did they spank (laughs) us in the final? Yeah, they did. But that was the second game. So get it right, you know? Like Team NHL and Team Canada lost in both in 79 in a best-of-three series and in 81 in a one-game final after Canada had beat them in a round robin. So... Nothing taken away from Miracle at all. 
But it needs to be stated that they didn't do anything different than Team NHL did yeah. or Team Canada did the year before or the year after. Yeah. It's, it's just, it doesn't suit narratives of guys like Brian Burke. Guys like Brian Burke are ignorant. And he's ignorant to the fact that, and look at, I'm sure he's got the, 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 the stars and stripes probably emblazoned on his chest and good on him. And look, I'm talking, you're American born and raised, buddy, and I love you like a brother. So this, I'm not trying to slight south of the 49th here, yeah, as far no. as I'm concerned. You know, you know what I think about my American brethren. I love you guys. But from a hockey perspective, I feel that Brian Burke and others are extremely ignorant of the fact when you talk about the comparison of Aruzioni to Paul Henderson. The Summit Series, Paul, was a month of national turmoil. It was a roller coaster the likes of which this country has never been on before or since. Sports or otherwise. Yeah. Nothing took this country on the ride that it did. Like the month of September in 1972. Miracle was one game. That nobody saw. 25,000 Americans out of a couple hundred million or whatever it was. I mean, come on. It's not even in the same stratosphere. It's the greatest single game upset. Canada had to win the last three games 10,000 miles from home on foreign soil with bullshit officiating. They stole our beer, Polly. Oh. They stole our beer. Cross the line there. <laughs> and and to, to for anybody to compare the two shows a level of ignorance and personal agenda and a narrative that you just want to suit yourself because you refuse to understand the global scope. Does America do that stuff? Really? <laughs> America? America? Come on, Liam. <laughs> the best of everything's Man, down here, buddy. I mean, you should have a bald eagle flying over your head here right now or something and you know, all that's missing is uh, Uncle Sam coming out, banging the drums. Oh, and, man. You, know, you, can, you can break, break into the national anthem. And listen, nobody waves the flag better than the United States of America. Oh, yes, we do. Nobody buddy. waves that flag better. Now, this is a non-political statement. This is just one where the jingoism that's existed there, you know, the USA, USA chant. Hey, I got no problem with it, man. I, I We've lost that. We We were, we used to have a large element of that in Canada. But we've been told, and it's been hammered down. It's come over us like a waterfall. Don't show that. Don't say that. Don't be that. You know, okay, you don't want to be braggadocio, and you don't want to be pulling, you know, hey, look at us. We're, we, we've won almost every international hockey moment in time since 1972, right? A couple of hiccups. Otherwise, we continue to win the overwhelming majority of times. If there's anybody that should be standing on the top of every arena in the world and waving a Canadian flag, it should be Canadian hockey fans. <laughs> But it's not, it's not about that. It's about understanding what the impact of the Summit Series was to the global game. Yeah. The reason the Swedes and the Czechs and the Slovaks and then eventually the, the Finns and then the Russians came to North America was because of the Summit Series. And if you don't know that, research it and understand who got scouted in those Swedish games. Inga Hammerstrom, Boria Salming, Lars Eric Schoberg, Danny LeBraton, Tommy Bergman, go down the line. 
who's on the Czech team, the Stashnys. Yeah, great Nedimansky, who just went in the Hall of Fame. <coughs> he a was on that Czech team. <laughs> favorite of yours. <laughs> oh, yeah, jeez. Don't even get me going on that. <laughs> Holy lifting. I'll tell you. I don't know. I don't know sometimes, but the guy, the biggest blowhard I've heard on this is Brian Burke. And, and, uh, He's got a he's got a hard on against Paul Henderson that is unfreaking believable, and he calls it that uh, Ruzioni did the exact same thing, and I didn't hear him say that, but I was told he did. I know he has, and and uh, so I'm just singling him out because I know he's not alone. He should know. I know there's countless, countless thousands of American fans who don't know a thing about the Summit Series, and all they know is miracle, and they say, how could anything possibly be bigger than that? They don't understand because they've never researched it. Paul, you right now are talking to the only man in North American history to interview the captain of the Soviet team from 1972. I am the only guy that ever had written down comments through a translator with... um, Mr. Kuskin, who's no longer with us. When did he you was do that captain. interview? Hey? When did you do that interview? Um, I believe it was 2003. 2003, 2004. I think he died about three or four years ago. And uh, um, I was brought in. I know my, my buddy, you've probably seen him. He tags us sometimes here on Sticks and Taps, Paul Brophy. Yeah. Hell, hell of a hockey player with Concordia. How you doing, bro? Uh, yeah, hopefully Brof will listen to this. And um, he brought me in to sort of MC things for a fantastic alumni event featuring three generations of Concordia men's teams playing three generations of Soviet national teams. And I believe they had four or five members of Team Can- of uh, uh, the Soviet national team from 72, including Kuskin. And by the way, every game that Kuskin got a point in in 72, the Russians won. He didn't dress all eight games. But every game he got a point in, they won. Out of the three wins that they had, he got points in all those games. I know no one remembers him because it wasn't Vasiliev or Yakushev or Harlamov or Tretiak or Petrov or Mikhailov or Maltsev. You know, believe me, he was was an important part of that team. So much so that they named him captain. And I talked to him. He said to me through a translator, he could not believe that Paul Henderson's not in the Hall of Fame. Wow. Couldn't believe it. That's the second thing he said is Trechak wasn't even our best player. I mean, please. That's this the, the fawning in North America over him, they just none of them can understand. Yeah, they say, really? go and look and see how many times he won player of the year, Soviet hockey. I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, the guy was a good goalie, but you know, make it out like he's the second coming of George Vezina mixed with Terry <laughs> Sachuk, Marty Bordeur, Patrick Wan, Dominic Kashuk. Give me a break. Yeah. He's losing goalie 72, losing goalie 76, pulled in the Challenge Cup 79, pulled in Miracle 1980. Yep. Yep. Right or wrong, they pulled him. Yep. You know? So, anyway, Kuskin said a lot of really interesting things. I'll just finish on this note. Sure, bro. I, I asked him about Bobby Clark. <laughs> and uh, the translator's right there. So, 
Kruskin, you know, and and, and a, a couple of his Russian teammates chimed in, and they're just they're just blabbering away in Russian, right? I mean, <laughs> their answer was probably literally without a word of a lie. Take a stopwatch and time it. it was like they talked like ninety seconds straight, and then I turned to the interpreter and he said, uh, "Yeah, they don't like him." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, <sighs> he was unbelievable, man. What well, a, you I mean, know the other thing. In he's game such six. a unique. He's such a unique. There's nobody. There'll never be anybody. And I, I talk as a kid growing up, you know, catching him at the, you know, the early part of my life, the later stage of his playing career. But watching the tapes, his face, that team, those championships, and uh, you know, listening to you talk about the uh, the old, you know, Team Canada teams and the Canada Cup and has a GM. And just, yeah. oh, man, he's, I will say, and I think that's one of the great things about hockey, even the guys you loathe, whether they play for another team or you, you, you also garner an incredible amount of respect for them. And as much as you might dislike a guy or how he played or how he carried yeah. himself, you take him on your team in a heartbeat. Uh, absolutely. Like, if you Clark don't respect Bobby guys. Clark, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're an idiot. And, and you're just not able to let go of a bias. It's as simple as that. You know, 48 years ago today, Canada won. Henderson scored the winner unassisted second period. It was also the game where Clark, uh, Clark slashed Harlamov and, and got, the, uh, got the slashing penalty and Harlamov and hurt him. No question, hurt him. Harlamov uh, finished the game, sat out game seven. They had a game to spare, so he sat it out, came back, played game eight, got an assist. Uh, they looked to me 100%, even though I know I'm sure he wasn't. But at the end of the day, they had three leads. They had three leads in game eight. <clears throat> two one, um, two nothing, three one, and five three after 40 minutes in their barn. Five three. Nobody said anything about Harlamov then. He was playing, he had an assist, took a shift. But, you know, we, we come back and win. And then 10 years later, and believe me, that was emanating nowhere else but in our own country because that's what we do. We eat our own in Canada. Yeah. That's, that's how we operate. Uh-huh. We've become such the pervasiveness of gutlessness that especially is in the left-wing media in Canada is absolutely shocking and disappointing how gutless we've largely become. People are afraid. To step up, not general Joe Q public on 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 our phones, yeah. But people have, even though most of them are anonymous, anonymous. I, I call them gutless too, but especially anybody's going to be negative, you won't put your name to it. You know, f off. Yep. But the the uh, the media, mark my words, when when we hit Monday, you'll see it on Twitter yourself, Paulie. There'll be all sorts of commentary. Forty eight years later, Paul Henderson's goal. People start crying about Clark Slash. Nobody will talk about Gary Bergman being kicked right through the shin pad. There won't be one single tweet about that, that it'll, except in a rebuttal. No one will initiate and say that. You know, we want to talk about Clark Slash, but let's talk about how vicious that series was. No, it's not the Canadian way anymore. As a media member, you, you have to be gutless. And then you can get your professional hockey writing association card. <laughs> you will not be invited to the annual dinner. All right, my friend. <laughs> and I don't Liam McGuire. I don't think you have a problem uh, with that. By the way, <laughs> Liam McGuire, uh, three three six seven Scanlon Street, Osgood. 
I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> He'll be waiting at the door with a pipe yeah. for you. <laughs> and a peace of mind. Or not. Yeah. <laughs> All good stuff, man. All right, pal. Well, look, we're wrapping up another great long episode of Sticks and Taps. Uh, uh, good stuff. And I know you can keep going on this, buddy. We'll, we'll continue that conversation as well. And we'll, we'll definitely touch base. Uh, sorry, got you. a little carried away there. I didn't mean to. No, buddy. Look. <laughs> Buddy, I've been a friend of yours for a long time. I, I sit back here. I'm just, I'm just upset I don't have a bag of popcorn and listen to you for hours. It's all good, man. All right, pal. Let's wrap this up. Let's do our little Irish toast of the yeah. uh, the week and uh, also um, our Irish song of the week. So, um, as far as the toast for me, Liam, today, I'm just gonna. Uh, oh, how beautiful that is! Well, see, I get to see it now. This is this is fantastic. A big, big yeah, old bottle of JMO. In my it's face right old, there. Brother. Oh, there it is. Getting poured and everything. See, see, I can't do that right now, Liam. I have to go get the kids from school. So. <laughs> <laughs> I used to do this all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <pick up> the <laughs> hey, look, I don't know what you got. I'm just going to raise a quick toast to uh, to Stevie Stamkos coming back last night. I think it's just yeah. a great hockey story. Uh, and just what a gorgeous goal. I hope he continues to play well. Um, and I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm not... You know, there's a side of me that looks forward to seeing Tampa Bay win this thing. Uh, and it's no disrespect to Dallas and, and believing the series is not over. But if we can just look at a nice hockey story last night and just the phenomenal talent that he is, um, what he's meant to that organization, and to get that opportunity. I don't know, you know, when you're handed two minutes uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a platform or a stage like that, and, um, you know, that wasn't a garbage goal. That wasn't a goal off a rebound. That wasn't, uh, you know, a screen in front. That was one of probably the prettiest goals this year in the NHL. And I just want to toast him real quick and, and his return last night for the lights, the lightning. Sorry. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to absolutely go along with you on that. I also want to toast um, a couple guys who just had birthdays. Uh, Daryl Sittler on September 18th. Good friend. Ten point game. Uh, a man who was um, inspirational in my life. Two days later, Guy Lafleur celebrated his 69th birthday on September 20th. And uh, obviously, as we uh, talk about today, uh, anniversary of Game 6, we won't have a chance next Thursday. The anniversaries will have passed, so I want to salute uh, all my friends past and present that played uh, for Team Canada the Summit Series in 1972, the godfather of all international hockey. So along with Steve Stamkos, great call by you. Here, here, brother. Cheers. Slanta. Up the Republic. Get go. All right. Whoa, look at that. If you can only see it, folks. Just down <laughs> like a professional. Smooth. Like an angel. Like an angel. That was a good ounce and a half, that one oh, there, Paulie. Yeah, that certainly was, my friend. <laughs> I'll check I'll check in on you in about an hour or two and see if you're all right. <laughs> all right, buddy. Uh, I came across uh, a great video today, uh, this morning on Facebook, uh, through my uh, my my uncle Anthony, or my uncle Tony in Dublin, his wife Cynthia, uh, the yeah. great, the, the good stuff about social media and Facebook, uh, you know, because there's a lot of garbage on there. You do get to stay in touch with their family and friends, especially abroad. But um, so she shared this uh, video of a bunch of young lads in a pub uh, choir. There, I can't remember the name of the choir, but it's it's on there. But anyway, we'll talk about it. Liam. I sent it to you. Um, yeah, just an incredible. Magical rendition, but anyway, let everybody know the song and the history behind it, if you don't mind. Well, this this is a choir 
and uh, uh, they're called the the Ramparts. The Ramparts Choir, I believe, is what their official name is. And they gathered in a pub. I believe it's called Stag's Head. And the video is spectacular. And they sing a song. There has to be 20 of them, eh, Polly? There must be 20 of them. Yeah, it was a phenomenal. Their harmony. Yeah. Yep. They did a song called one of the most famous Irish songs of all time. It's called The Rocky Road to Dublin. And uh, we may have featured it previously, the the uh, the Clancy Brother version. And these guys do a version of it that I really, really enjoyed. They're all young men, by the way. What would you say? Mid to late 20s? Yeah, maybe absolutely. Early? Yeah. Uh, in, in, that, in that ballpark? Bunch of couriers. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They look great. They sounded better. And the harmony... The way they, they um, and I, I just, I'll tell you what, Paulie, I played it for my mother this morning. Oh, wow. I, I, I had to pick her up at, at, uh, at her senior home there and, and take her out for some stuff. And, uh, and I said, you got to see this. And I, I showed it to her and we watched the whole thing and she just loved it. And, and, you know, when I was wondering if they were going to try and really, if there was going to, because it's visual, you can see it, it's on video. And I was wondering, how are they going to get into my favorite verse, you know? Um, <laughs> boy safely landed uh, called myself a fool I could no longer stand it blood began to boil temper I was losing poor old devil dialed they began abusing you know the whole thing you should I mean, have been I, there I, yourself mate <laughs> <laughs> I know that song I was watching how they were going to get into it you know and I saw the one guy give the give yep. like the fist pump like that and I said god damn it right on <laughs> right on I want to go right through the screen and start swinging it was uh, it's a great song, and they did a fantastic rendition of it. Uh, good on your uncle Tony uh, to to send that to you. And I don't know how how are you going to do it. You're going to be able to link it up for uh, for people. Yeah, what I'll do is as we wrap it here, I'll I'll play that version. Um, I'll I'll play the. You'll hear that version, and then uh, if you're listening, just and you can just go to either me or Liam's uh, Facebook. Just look us up on Facebook, and you'll see us sharing the uh, the video. Uh, and then, uh, like I said, the Rampart Choir. And then uh, we'll we'll tack it on here at the end. It's uh it's just visually to watch it. You have to watch it visually because, uh, you know, even myself as a vocalist and a musician and everything, the, uh, the memorization, the timing, yeah, the the well, they worked on this. Oh, this wasn't off the cuff. Yeah, it they wasn't. Had, when when you when you start when you have a second group, first of all, they had the humming, yep. in the background. Then they had the dum the dum. You know, they were playing almost like a baran, almost you know, yeah. with their mouths and. Then you had the the verses overlaying each other at one point, and then the the rousing closing, you know, where they just hammered the chorus. It's impressive, really, really impressive, and I think it uh, it fits the day. You know, I mean, rocky road to Dublin. If you could turn the clock back, and that was your where you were headed under any circumstances, and you were you were a dub through and through, and you were going home. Boy, that's that's you know, what's down the, uh, the what's the background on that tune? Sorry, Liam. What's the background on the tune itself? Well, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's one of those songs that I think we talked about before that had its origin. That actually, if I'm not mistaken, had had uh, some different lyrics that were eventually pulled together pulled to together. be the yeah, song that that, 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 yeah. that it is. If I'm not mistaken, I know a number of the the tunes that we did when we did the run of Clancy Brothers. There, a lot of those songs actually had origins going back to 1820s, 1830s, 1840s, you know, 1850s, and then has, has over time, not, not that this one went that far back, but, but many did. And, and I think it was a culmination of, of, uh, of something over time, to be honest with you. But, uh, 
But yeah, it's uh, it's it's a fantastic tune. It's very well known. If you know any Irish music, you've heard it before. You've probably heard. Do you sing it, Paulie? No, I don't. No. That's it's a it's a long song. Yeah. Um, and you know, look, I I I never most of the time when I'm doing uh, Irish stuff, it's usually only around Patty's. Uh, Patty's yeah. time as a performer and stuff because otherwise, you know. You know, there's not you, a ton of money to be making singing no. Irish ballads every weekend at certain places. No. It's not to no, knock it. No. But obviously, yeah. it's a song from my childhood. It's a song, uh, you, you, yeah. you know, I've Mine been too. raised on, you've been raised on. You know, yeah. when that, when I'm just looking at the background right here as we're talking right now. Uh, you know, when it, the, the I, I think more than anybody, anybody who listens to this show, anybody who gets what me and you are doing here, the scene in the pub. Yeah. The pints on the table, the small yeah. tables, the 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 gathering, they and then they flash. Whether it's staged or not, it it, it grasps it all because if you've been over to Ireland or if you got your favorite Irish pub here uh, up in you know either in the states or up in Canada or wherever it is, it's that scene of just being close together. And, and please God, we're going to get back to those normal times again. But it's the pint. I've I've lived that video. I've I've been there, part of sing songs. In pubs, and it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to just sing Irish songs. You sing what you know. Yeah. But scanning the room and seeing everybody enjoying, and you see the half-filled pints and the smiles, and, and yeah. there's, the, there's the respect, Liam, that everybody's quiet while you're singing, too. Exactly. So uh, yeah. It's, it, yeah. it captures everything. It's a brilliant song, a brilliant performance. We'll play that here as we uh, say goodbye to everybody. But um, that's the one thing for me, Liam, too. It just, it just, the video itself just captures what it's like to, you know, enjoy a pub with a client with friends. Yeah, you know? it's Irish pub life at its best right there. You could walk into a lot of places and, and that would not look, that scene would not look out of place. Uh, I've, I've witnessed it myself. You have as well. It's quite, quite common and, and really at all parts of the country. And it's just such a, su- such a, you know, a, um, a staple tune in, in the Irish musical diet. And you'll, everyone will know it right away if they, if they're a little unfamiliar with the title or whatever, you'll know as soon as you, hear the first verse going, and uh, they do a fantastic job on it. And absolutely, and it's a great way to end the show, and uh, I'm glad I came across that today on a day that we're doing the show, Sticks and Taps. So, everybody, once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll be back here next week with the Stanley Cup champion. So, for myself, Paul Cuthbert, take care, and as always, Liam, say goodbye to the folks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Appreciate it. We'll catch you next week. G'day.
the rocky road to Cheltenham. One, two, three, four, five. Hunt that air and turn her down the rocky road and all the way to Dublin. Whack the lull they ride. In Dublin next to Ryland. Whack the lull they ride. Be so soon to drive the new one. It was then I took the stroll. Whack the lull they ride. In bundle it was stolen. Something crossed me mind, then I looked behind the bundle, could I find a bundle? Oh, I slipped a one and wired for the road, they said we gone and broke, was it much in vogue on the rocky road to Dublin? One, two, three, five, hunt there and turn her down the rocky road, and all the way to Dublin, whack the lolly Turn her down the rocky road and all the way to Dublin, back for Lollyrock.